believers, welcome to Simply Devotion, a podcast that takes complex theological ideas and transforms them into points of understanding. I am your host, Pastor Vinny, from simplyvinny.com. Hey there, true believers. I want to welcome you for tuning into another episode of Simply Devotion, the podcast where we like to focus on why Jesus Christ is worthy of all of our devotion. Now, I need to ask you to consider who you can share this podcast with. Do you have other Christian friends, maybe people in your church, maybe people in your small group? that may benefit from this podcast. I don't want you to share it in an overly preachy way or like be saying to someone, hey, I don't think you have enough devotion for Jesus, so you better check out this podcast. No, no, we're not talking about that. We're just talking about, do you have a friend? Do you have someone in your small group, maybe? Someone maybe you go to school with, someone you know that's a Christian that may enjoy this podcast. The reason I bring it up is I love making this podcast. I hope to keep making this podcast, but at the same time, we need listeners because of the amount of time that we invest in writing a script and putting together a production and editing. It actually takes more time than I would have thought when I begun doing this process. But I really love doing it and the feedback I've got from some of you have been amazing. By the way, feel free to tweet me from Twitter or direct message me from my official Facebook page or however you'd like to contact me. I'm easy to find Simply Vinny. Just Google it. And um, give me your feedback so that I can make these podcasts better and more to what you would find useful in with the context of a deeper walk, a deeper devotion to Jesus Christ. Today, as always, we're going to talk about Jesus, and I'm going to talk about something particular about Jesus that, I don't know, depending upon which faith tradition you come out of, you may find it awkward to talk about, or you might find it exhilarating to talk about, or you just may find it something that you really haven't given a lot of thought about, and that is the party life of Jesus. We tend to think about Jesus as a rabbi. We think about Jesus as a teacher. We think about Jesus as, you know, a religious figure, and really the express image of God on earth. And sometimes because that's how we think about Jesus, that causes a little disconnect in thinking about the human side of Jesus and thinking about maybe in particular the relational side of Jesus. But Jesus was both very human and Jesus was extremely relational. In fact, Jesus took every opportunity he could find to be relational with people while he was here. In order to be relational, we have to go where people are, and people generally gather with other people. So, Jesus always wanted to be relational. He wanted to connect with people. If you 
stop and think about it for a second, really that is the whole point of the incarnation, right? God with us, Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus saves. You know, uh, the idea is the name Jesus means to save his people. You can't save people you don't have a relationship with. You can't have a relationship with people you don't come to see, hence the incarnation. Well, if you wanted to stop and think about it even further then, Jesus engaging in parties, Jesus going to parties, Jesus going to dinners, Jesus going to um, social events and having a full social calendar was actually part of his incarnation in a way, if you think about it. It's just about going to where sinners are. And I guess Jesus went to some parties that, you know, were just gatherings, like the wedding of Cana, where he begins his ministry right there in, uh, I think, John chapter 2, right? Like, this is an innocent party Jesus goes to, but it is a party. And there is alcohol consumption going on there. In fact, Jesus produces his first miracle at that party. And we can get into a whole sort of different theological outtake that different religions and perspectives have about the water into wine miracle. And did he make it into fermented wine? And or did he just make it into fresh grape juice, which seems to be what John might be saying. But really... That's not the point. The point is that Jesus tells his mother, Mary, when she, you know, asked him to turn the water into wine, that it is not my time yet. What's that mean? It means that Jesus was not ready to inaugurate on his official ministry. And yet, there we find Jesus still at a party. For me, this is the point. It's more than being incarnational. It's more than doing ministry. Jesus likes celebration. Now, this may be challenging for some of our stoic traditions and some of our maybe a little bit more conservative Christians out there, but Jesus enjoys celebrating. Jesus enjoys being with people. Jesus enjoys being at parties. Why? He loves. He loves people. He loves life. And if we're going to be like Jesus, maybe we need to love people better. Maybe we need to Go where people are more. Maybe we need to be willing to engage people where they are. Now, this, you know, kind of brings me to another idea that's important to bring out in the podcast at this point. Just because Jesus went to parties and just because Jesus was present at parties and just because Jesus had quite the reputation for hanging out with the wrong people doesn't necessarily mean that he was committing sin. In fact, we know that Jesus was the spotless Lamb of God and that he didn't commit sin. And yet, this is what I find fascinating about our topic today. Jesus is the perfect atonement, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect life 
lived. He had no sin. Yet, he had no problem being with sinners. And this is kind of like something I've been thinking about a lot. Sometimes as Christians, yeah, we don't want bad influences in our life. We don't want to be picking up bad habits. We don't want to be cussing and swearing. And, you know, sometimes when you're around all of that, you might start to pick it up. But, but for Jesus, he wanted to be with people. And he didn't see it as quite the dichotomy that we see it as. He was not so worried that they might be a bad influence on him. He was not so worried that their sin might stick to him. He wasn't so worried that he might become unclean by the contact with, you know, someone who didn't have it all together yet. No, you see, Jesus, this is a good point to make. Jesus took responsibility for his own spirituality. And Jesus, he was not into he was not into blaming other people for his lack of self-control or or for his behavior like he knew that if he was going to go be with sinners then you know it was his reputation and his father's reputation on the line as to how he would act in those environments and he wasn't gonna be like saying uh yeah god i messed up but it's you know kind of like peter's got a sailor's mouth and you know what what would god say to him well yeah he's a sailor and i sent you to save sailors right so jesus like this is a really good thing that we must learn from the example of Jesus. Jesus takes responsibility for his own spirituality, and he is not about blaming other people. Another thing we can learn by Jesus' social calendar is, yes, he doesn't blame other people. And Jesus is not a Afraid of what people may say about who his friends are. And, and this is the other thing. You know, uh, institutionalized Christianity can get frustrating because people be like, oh, you can't hang out with that person. What are people going to think about you? You're supposed to be a Christian and they see you out there hanging out with that person and this person. And they're going to assume that you're like that person. And I'm just like, you know, Jesus wasn't hung up on that. Why are we, like, so hung up on our reputation? Wait, wait, wait. We take our reputation more serious than we take someone's eternal life? The Bible has something to say about the reputation of Jesus. Let me, let me read a couple passages to you about the reputation of Jesus. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you said, Here is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is Luke 7, verse 34. So they accused Jesus. His reputation was that he was a glutton. That's not a good reputation, that he was a drunkard and that his friends were tax collectors and and sinners. Now, please, I'm not saying he was a glutton or a drunkard. 
uh, he did have friends that were tax collectors and sinners, though. Like, being a drunkard is a sin that is stated multiple times in the Old and New Testament, and that's not where we're going today. And gluttony is also a sin, and that's not where we're going today. But the point is, is that they said these things about Jesus, but Jesus loved people more than he loved his own reputation. Remember what we studied a few podcasts ago about the reputation of Jesus in Philippians 2, where it said he made himself of no reputation, right? That he, he was willing to empty himself out. We talked about that word meaning kenosis, and you can go back and look at that particular podcast where we talked about that. But here's the thing about this. Jesus is not hung up on reputation. He's not a drunkard. He's not a glutton. He does have friends who are tax collectors and sinners. You know, he has friends that were prostitutes. This is not a good reputation. He had friends who were terrorists. Simon the Zealot was one of his disciples. A Zealot would be the equivalent of a member of Al-Qaeda today. They were terrorists. They, they, they were trying to provoke a war with the authorities in Rome. And then you had like Matthew Levi, the tax collector, right? And this guy was like a traitor to his country. And he was taking money from the Romans to oppress his own people and using centurion soldiers to abstract unfair amounts of tax from the Jews to help the Romans further enslave them like this. But Jesus sees something more in these people. Jesus sees something that is willing or worth putting his own reputation on the line. And, you know, it's, it's worth considering, you know, because in John chapter 1, you know, um, they ask the question in verse 46, can anything good even come out of Nazareth? You know, and guess even Jesus himself already had a reputation of being from the wrong side of the tracks. Nazareth is up in the northern part of Israel, right beside the Sea of Galilee. It's not far from Magdalene, where Mary of Magdalene is from. Like, there's a lot of bizarre characters that come out of the gospel narratives that live in that area. This is also where we find Peter and we find James, and we find the Zebedee boys up there fishing on the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of a rough crowd where Jesus is kind of like from, you know, a questionable neighborhood to begin with, and then he's out there hanging out with questionable dudes, and it's like, people are like, this guy claims to be a rabbi? Why should we believe this guy's a rabbi? In fact, so much so that in Matthew, you know, chapter 9, when um, Jesus is, is caught having dinner with tax collectors and sinners and the holy men of Israel, the other rabbis and the other Pharisees, they, they, they hear about this. They see Jesus like eating with tax collectors and sinners and he's like, partying it down and they're just like your teacher 
eats with tax collectors and sinners? Like, what? What, you follow this man? And, you know, so in Matthew 9 and verse 12, Jesus overhears them talking about his reputation. And now this is where it gets interesting for me. Like, is Jesus going to stand up and is Jesus going to say, how dare you call me a sinner? You know, I am the living son of God. Is Jesus going to like make the earth open up like Moses happened at the time of Moses and swallow them? Like, like how would Jesus respond to this accusation that, that, that he likes to hang out with sinners and tax collectors and and, and and people of ill repute. It says in verse 12 of chapter 9 of Matthew, when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Look, if you are just like trying to be like so good and, and so beyond, like no one can, like I'm not saying we want to have a bad reputation on purpose, but, but, but if you are embarrassed of sinners, if, if, if you or unwilling to invest your time in ungodly people, if you were unwilling to go chase down the lost sheep of Israel, maybe your spirituality is missing the point. In fact, you know, part of what Jesus is saying here, he's, he's quoting from Hosea when he says, you know, go learn this, that, that I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And like, so every rabbi knows what he's talking about. They know about the prophet Hosea in his backstory. But, but, but what he's saying is this, you can be so religious that you have no mercy, and that is not who I am. Yes, I am religious. No, Jesus is not going to eat things and drink things that will defile him. He's not going to smoke things that are going to defile him. He's he's not going to, you know, be engaging in overt sinful behavior or any sinful behavior, but he's going to somehow be holy, somehow be perfect, and somehow still be able to be in the presence of sinners and sin and not be rude, judgmental, or condemning, but to find a way to bring mercy to such people. This is a new way. This is a new paradigm. This is a new way of thinking, you know. Jesus goes on to tell them, look, you guys, like, you, 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 no one can win with you. John, you know, my cousin John, John the Baptist was Jesus' older cousin by six months. He's like, he came and he fasted and he wore sackcloth and he was like, he did all your rules. He kept all your regulations, but you, you would not even recognize him. But, but me, I just come to show mercy and love and you don't recognize who I am either, right? So Jesus is just simply saying, 
Not that rules aren't good. Not that reputation is not good. Not that we shouldn't care about what people think about us. Yeah, all those things are fine. You know, like I'm, you can't tell, but I'm recording this podcast. I'm wearing a shirt and a tie. And it's not because I'm trying to impress anybody, but that's just kind of, you know, what maybe I feel like a pastor should look like. So there's there's nothing wrong with having an identity. There's, a, there's, there's nothing wrong with being, you know, projecting a positive identity. But there is something wrong that if, if I was like, oh, I'm a pastor of a church and, you know, I wear a suit and, you know, and, and you know, I, I read the Bible and, and I don't watch certain things or listen to certain things and... What kind of image am I really projecting about God? Isn't the gospel that God came to us because we were unable to come to him? I mean... If people were able to clean themselves up, if, if, if people were able to put away all their vices, if people were able to, to get good and get well, why would they need a savior? Isn't it because people cannot do this? Isn't it because people are trapped in their sin? Isn't it because people are hurt and damaged that they need a savior who can come down to their level and love them at their level and love them enough to lift them up out of their ditch me that sometimes christians get so carried away with being fearful that culture is anti-Christian or that culture is against the religion, that the way that certain people live is a threat to their own identity somehow. I mean, like, culture is evil. It's always going to be evil because, like, people are evil. How are we going to impact people unless we love evil? evil people unless we love sinners i mean we love the bible says because christ first loved us i mean i am a sinner as paul says in romans 7 i am chief of all sinners well we like to quote that but do we mean it do you understand that you are are that sinner you are that tax collector you are that zealot you are that unpure woman that jesus protects on the temple steps in john 8 we are all guilty of so much sin and yet god still loves us god still forgives us god still comes to us and lifts us up out of our muck and i know what you're thinking i get it you're saying yeah but i'm not doing those things anymore and and yeah but you know but you're not doing those things anymore because jesus came to you what about those 
out there that don't know Jesus. And maybe we're on the same metro train with them, or we get off at the same bus stop as them, or we're, we're in the same line with them at Target or the grocery store. And, you know, we look at what they're wearing. We kind of maybe roll our eyes or, like, step back a little bit from them. Like, like what's going on with that? Like, can't you, like, strike up a conversation with people who are radically different than you? You know, it's, it's not that... Jesus was approving of Matthew being a tax collector when he ate with him. It's not that Jesus was down with Mary Magdalene and her nocturnal activities when he took time to invest in her self-worth. It's not like Jesus was good with terrorism and murder when he invited Simon the Zealot into his 12. No, it's none of that. It's that Jesus sees past the external ways that people build these shells to protect themselves. And he sees inside these people that there is more there. That, that he can love them despite their brokenness. Jesus doesn't see them as a threat to him or his way of life or even his values because Jesus takes responsibility for his own spiritual maturity and also Hours. Over and over and over, the scripture says Jesus came upon the people and he had compassion upon them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, scripture doesn't just say that once, it says it over and over. Could we as Christians stop seeing people who are different than us as a threat? Could, could we as Christians just stop seeing people who are sinful as a threat? Could we as Christians just, just stop and see people who are different than us, who are radically different than us, who live in ways that we cannot maybe agree with, but could we still somehow see them for the goodness and the brokenness that is in them that Jesus wants to restore them to? Could we, could we spend time with them? Could we go into their world with them? Could we be spiritual enough not to be tempted, but to go with compassion and mercy and love? Could we laugh with people when they tell jokes? Could we put our arms around people when they cry? Could we understand that those cuss words and that rough exterior are, are ways that they're trying to protect themselves because no one has protected them? Could we see past humans see and could we see with the eyes of Jesus and I'll tell you another thing 
Jesus didn't just go to parties to save sinners, although he did. I mean, Jesus loved to be with sinners. Jesus loved to be with sinners because he loved to be with people, and he was the only person who wasn't a sinner. So he loved to be with people, therefore he loved to be with sinners, and so he went to parties. But that's not the only reason Jesus went to parties. Hold on to your socks for a moment, but Jesus also went to parties because parties are fun. <laughs> parties are fun. They're not just sinful. I get it that some sinful things happen at parties, but parties are also places of good food. Parties are places of good music. Parties are places of good vibes. Parties are places of entertainment and excitement and exchanges and conversations and fellowship. Parties are places where people actually dance and embrace life. Like, isn't that sort of the idea behind throwing a party? I get it. Like, we can talk about party as in they party down or they were partying. You know, and we usually mean those as adjectives of, of like a sinful behavior. But, but parties are just like a birthday party, like an anniversary party, like a dinner party, like a wedding reception is a party. Like these parties are meant to celebrate life. Parties are meant to celebrate goodness. Parties are meant to lift people up and to, to, to give them interactions and make friendship connections and for people of different social and economic spheres to come together and to connect. And so parties are a good thing. And I think that Jesus loved to go to parties, yes, to save lost sinners, but I think that Jesus also loved to go to parties because he loved a good time. I didn't say a sinful time, but he loved a good sign. It's like, you know, the other day I was... I met this new couple I'd never seen before. I met them at a social gathering, and, and they had the cutest little baby. And they didn't know me. I didn't know them. But they're like, look at our baby. Isn't she cute? And you know what? She was cute. And I'm like, what's your baby's name? And they're like, River. And I'm like, ah, that's a beautiful name for a be beautiful baby. And like, you know, the baby's dancing around, and they're showing me the baby. Like, this was like a great exchange. Like, did I stop and say, oh, well, you know, they got nose rings and piercings and what kind of parents are they no don't do that don't don't be that person can't you just enjoy life can't you just enjoy like these are parents like maybe they're not like me maybe they're a little bit different to me but they love their children too and they just want to show their kid off and they're cute and you can laugh with the kid and you can smile with the kid i think jesus liked to do that i think jesus liked i bet jesus was the life of a party i bet jesus knew the good jokes you know what i'm talking about <laughs> you know he turned water into wine but i i bet jesus had an incredible sense of humor I bet I bet when Jesus went into a room, he had a way. You know people who have that way when they go into a room. Like, I'm not just talking about the life of the party, but yes, the life of the party. But, but they have this way when they're in the room, everyone feels better. When they're, when they're in the room, they're just lifting each other's spirits. And they're going around, yes, telling jokes, but also affirming people. And, and, and also maybe even comforting people. It's like there are just some people that you can just tell they're spiritually and relationally authentic. I think that's what Jesus was probably like at a party. In fact, when, 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 when the Pharisees and the scribes, they were complaining about Jesus always being at parties, Jesus says, like, you know, he tells a little parable. He tells a little proverb here in Matthew 11, verse 17. He says, we played the pipe for you, that, but you would not 
dance. We sang a dirge for you. But you did not mourn. What's he saying? Matthew 11, verse 17. We played the pipe for you. But you did not dance. We sang a dirge for you. But you did not mourn. What, what, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, you're so holy that you can never let go and have a good time. No matter how good the flute player is, no, how to, no matter how good the guitar player is, no matter how good the drummer is, you just can't let go and have a good time. You just don't connect with people relationally. Jesus is pro-dancing, according to this verse. You know, that's going to upset some people, but it's there in the Bible. But they don't even go and mourn with people. Like, oh, remember the baby I talked about that I, I met? It was so cute, and it was a social gathering. It was a funeral. And these people were greatly upset that they had lost someone they loved. But me, like, I, I didn't judge them because they had their their hair in ponytails and things and earrings and nose rings. I, I, no, no, no. They were people, and they were sad, but they were also happy about their baby. It's like that right there you had everything. You had people mourning because of a lost loved one and people celebrating because of a baby and like i just think that jesus wants to be in the middle of both of those things he 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 wants to it's it's not just that he wants to go and save lost sinners yes he wants to do that but i think that jesus wants to live life with us i think that jesus wants to be in our presence in our ups and our downs in our highs and our lows and i just think that if we are followers of jesus if i just think that if we are disciples of jesus i just think if we are replicators of the lifestyle of jesus that we should want to be engaged in people's lives i am not an extrovert i am an introvert i like to stay home and read books and watch netflix i mean that's just who i am and how i'm wired but i got to get out there and I, I got to engage people and I, I need to be involved in their lives. I need to go to their birthday parties. I need to go to their celebrations. I need to go to their funerals. I need to go to and meet them in the hospital when they're broken and sad. I need to impact with them in the good and the bad and everything else because people are what matters because Jesus died for all people. Yes, he died for all people. All people may not accept him, but I don't want me and the way I behaved to people or the way I treated people or the impression I gave people that they didn't matter to be the reason they don't accept Jesus. Some people, they just see religious people as judgmental. They just see religious people as condemning their faults and their mistakes or even their lifestyle. 
but I don't know if they ever saw Jesus. Gospels depict Jesus at various kinds of parties, weddings, dinner parties, social gatherings, even, you know, some questionable parties where questionable things were going on. But, but, but Jesus wasn't there for questionable things. He was there to love and redeem people. And if questionable things were going to happen, Jesus was comfortable in his own spirituality. The gospel writer Luke, he writes about the most parties, I think. Luke Luke is always for the underdog. When you read the book, the gospel of Luke, Luke is always like writing from the Gentile position. The Gentiles were the underdogs. They were the outsiders, right? And so Luke emphasizes a lot of the parties of Jesus. And, and unlike maybe some of the other writers, Luke is not afraid to, to fill in some of the colorful things that may have been giving the wrong impressions at the parties. And so I remember this party in Luke 7, and, and Jesus goes to a dinner party with Simon the Pharisee. And this is kind of a weird dinner party because Simon is throwing this dinner party to try to get Jesus in the inner circle with the other Pharisees. So this is like, not like a party, like a party down kind of party down at the docks or something like this. This is an upper class um, well-to-do party. It's uh, like a high-class falutin religious order party. And so it says that in Luke 7, verse 36, that a Pharisee, Simon, invited Jesus to have dinner with him at his house and to eat. But at the middle of this party, there was a woman, and this woman had a sinful life, and she heard that Jesus was going to be at this dinner party, and she just burst. She crashed the party. Like So think about it. There's a high-class dinner party going on, and this woman, this, this questionable woman, she just sort of crashes the party, and she comes cry crying through the party, and she's like, Jesus, Jesus, where's Jesus? And she finds Jesus, and they're at this party of all these, like, really religious and stoic and self-righteous people, and she's, like, crying and a mess, and, you know, she's got this reputation, and she just starts kissing Jesus on his face, feet and she's just kissing him on his feet she's pouring oil over his feet she's touching him now simon the pharisee he he sees this and in his heart he doesn't say it out loud but in his heart he sees this woman that everybody knows that the party is like a woman of bad reputation and he's like Oh, man, I invited Jesus here so that the other Pharisees, they would invite him into the inner circle and he wouldn't get himself crucified. But now, like, this this, this prostitute, this, this woman, she's kissing him in, in the middle of the party. And he begins to think in his head, if this man, if, if Jesus was really a prophet, if, if Jesus was really a holy man, he, he would know what kind of woman she is. He would know what. Oh, he would know how this looks. He, you know, he wouldn't do this. 
Now, Jesus, sensing what Simon is thinking, Simon didn't say it, but Jesus, sensing what Simon's thinking, he says out loud to Simon, he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. And Simon is like, go ahead, tell me. And in verse 41, Jesus says, there were two men. This is Luke 7, verse 41. There were two men. One owed money to the money lender, Jesus began. One owed him 500 silver coins, and the other owed him 50 silver coins. Neither of them could pay back what they owed, so he canceled the debts on both. Which one would love him more? Verse 43 of Luke 7. Simon answers, I suppose he would love the one who was forgiven more. Right you are, says Jesus. Then he turned to the woman, but said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your home, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You did not welcome me with a kiss, but she has not stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You provided no oil for my head. She covered my feet with perfume. I tell you then the great love she has shown proves that her many sins have been forgiven. But whoever has forgiven little shows little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Snap. Snap. Jesus makes it clear in this story. Jesus is always on the side of sinners. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Jesus seeks out sinners. Jesus is not embarrassed by sinners. Jesus will not let Righteous people push sinners away. This woman's not being obnoxious. She's, she's not trying to disrupt the show. She's, she's not like proudfully sinful. She's like seeking redemption. And one of the things we have to ask ourselves without making so many judgments on other people what is their heart? What are they looking for? Maybe they look a certain way. Maybe they act a certain way. Maybe they talk a certain way. But what is under there? And what may it be that God wants us to play a role in redeeming them, in coaching them? And if we can't, be a part of that? Can we at least respect them because they belong to God? They are His property. I tell you this. 
Jesus was friend of sinners. I tell you this. Jesus ate with gluttons. I tell you this. Jesus drunk with drunkards. I tell you this. Jesus let a prostitute kiss him in public. I tell you, these things happened. Why is the church so judgmental and so down and broken? people. I get it. It's hard. Loving people who are hard to love is difficult. It's sometimes embarrassing. Sometimes it's a struggle. Sometimes you don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. And that's okay too. It's okay not to know how to love someone, but not knowing how to love someone just means we need to learn just means we need to grow. It doesn't mean that they don't belong to the kingdom of God. I tell you this, the kingdom of God is a party. And you will be surprised who's on the guest list. You have been listening to a podcast by Pastor Vinny McIsaac from simplyvinny.com. Stop by our website, check out our blogs, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, all that kind of jazzy promotional stuff. But most important, let's keep growing together in Jesus Christ all the more as we see the day of his return approaching. See you at the next podcast. God bless.